Hey everybody, it's Matty C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. On this week's episode, I sit down with my mom for a discussion about the film Brief Encounter and why we both love it. It's a bit of a preview of sorts for our next installment of the What Am I Watching Movie Club, where we'll be seeing Brief Encounter along with In the Mood for Love. Let's get into it. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really wonderful to have you here. Uh, on this week's episode, I get to do something that I was really hoping I was going to get to do about three weeks ago, which is interview my mom. I know that's a really weird way to start the show, uh, but I'm still a little little sore about not going to Southeast Asia. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my mom and I were supposed to go to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand, and due to a series of uh, red tape, bureaucratic bullshit, airline restrictions, and uh, visa policies, uh, we uh, we had a $5,000 vacation flushed down the toilet. So what was supposed to happen was I was supposed to do two episodes of this show. <laughs> wow, this is starting off really angry, and I didn't mean for it to. Um uh, I was supposed to do two episodes of this show from Southeast Asia with my mom, and we were going to kind of recap what we had experienced. But we're not going to do that because we didn't get to go on that trip. But we are working on another one, and I will talk about that shortly. Uh, <clears throat> so what I did was I had my mom come over so that we could talk about one of her favorite films and mine, uh, a little film called Brief Encounter. And we had kind of a quick chat about this and did it under the guise of a preview for our upcoming installment of the What Am I Watching Movie Club. We will be watching uh, Brief Encounter from 1945, directed by David Lean, and uh, 2000's In the Mood for Love, directed by Wong Kor Wai. These are my two favorite films about the subject of romance and love. And uh, in addition to this episode, uh, on uh, Monday, November 27th, uh, there's also a preview essay that has been published uh, as of this morning that uh, we'll give you kind of a deep dive, a little rundown into both films, how they're connected, and what to look for, along with some details on when we'll be getting together. So uh, this is a thing that I'm kind of hoping to grow. I know it's kind of a weird idea to do a virtual movie club, uh, but I, I think this could be really fun. We had we had one installment. It was It was small, but it was very boisterous and very fun and everyone involved said they they were looking forward to doing it again and so my hope is we can grow this thing ever so slowly just exactly like I'm trying to grow this substack. Uh make sure that you are listening to my radio show every single Friday over at the uh Rockin' the Suburbs Radio Network at suburbsradio.com. I am uh I'm 7 episodes in now. They're archived up on the uh, on the old blog over at whatamimaking.substack.com, and you can find those episodes. Go back and listen to the full episodes along with seeing a track list and getting a little bit of the story behind the theme. It's a really fun thing. It's a really great project. I appreciate the Suburbs guys for letting me do it. It's been really, really enjoyable uh, putting those together. And uh, it's been kind of challenging, too. Some of those are – I think they're going to be easy, and I'll put them together, and I'll get halfway through, and I'm like, oh, damn, this is – 
you know, tougher to kind of suss this out so that it's a representative 60 minutes and I'm not leaving something out. Uh, but I'm also choosing really good stuff. So uh, anyway, make sure that you're you're going over to the blog and uh, you're checking that out because I think there's some really fun stuff there. Uh, also, make sure you're getting involved in submitting uh, your songs on the theme for each week. Every week in the middle of the week before the new episode airs, I ask folks to give me their favorite songs on this week's theme. So we've had themes like uh, on the stereo, where it was all about different ways that we listen to music. Had another one where it was all about artists from Michigan. Um, the idea is I pick my favorite stuff. I pick stuff that I think is fun or representative or maybe a little underappreciated. But it's really fun when when folks chime in. And uh, it's, it's really great to see those discussions, especially when you guys take off and you don't even need me involved. So make sure that you're, you're getting over on the on the uh, Substack and you're you're getting part of that every day. By the way, if you don't have the Substack app, that's a great way to follow me and a bunch of other writers kind of in a social media format without necessarily having to do it through email. You can get Substack updates through your through your app instead of email if email's not necessarily the best way for you to get that update of that information or if you feel like you're being inundated with too much goddamn email which I think we can all appreciate. Uh, make sure you are voting in each round of the Steven Spielberg Bracket Challenge. We are down to the semifinals, my friends. It is amazing. We've whittled this thing down to four four films now, and um, we are uh, we are rocking and and a rolling. It's uh, it's a really tight uh, it's a really really tight contest at the moment. And uh, get your get your votes in there so that we can uh, so that we can wrap this thing up. It's been really fun. And uh, I'm really kind of excited to see what happens as we get down to these semifinal matchups and uh, really start to see the discussion uh, hit its hit its frenzy. Uh, the other the other film related thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned was that this week I published a piece called Harold and Maud and me and Stephen. And it's a story about when my family moved from uh, the Thumb region of Michigan. If you look at a map, you'll know why it's called the Thumb region to the Lansing area where I, I currently live and where I've lived for the last 40 some years. And, um, my, I was going through a real shitty time. I was 12 years old and my dad did a really wonderful thing. And he took me to a weird midnight movie and it changed my life. And it's a really lovely story. And I would, I would very much appreciate it if you'd go over there and check it out. It's a lovely little ode to fatherhood and quirky movies and weird kids. And um, yeah, so I hope I hope you enjoy that. Uh, also be aware, um, I have just made an announcement that uh, the Shedio is hitting the road again. Much to my chagrin, my February and March tour dates had to be uh, reconfigured, shall we say. Uh, that happened just within days of being told I wasn't going to Southeast Asia. So that was a rather... Uh, shitty one-two punch, but we are recovering over here at the Shedio, and what I have decided to do is hit the eastern half of the United States uh, in pretty significant depth over the course of four weeks throughout all of June 2024. You can go over to phonoforrecords.com slash Matthew Carlson for more info, and I will put a link in the show notes. Uh, I'm looking for hosts. I'm looking for party people. I want to come to your town and have a good time. Let's get together. Let's make something happen. It only takes 20 people 
little bit of room, maybe a patio, a driveway, a garage, a basement, a coffee shop. Maybe you own a business. Maybe you got an art gallery nearby. You you can find a way to make this happen. We can make some magic happen together. Go take a look at the route. If I'm anywhere near where you live, hit me up. Let's make some things happen. Let's also make sure that uh, you are going over and subscribing to uh, my Substack. It's whatamimaking.substack.com. Your paid subscriptions are what power the engine that moves this whole thing. Uh, As my dear friend Pete Dominic over at Stand Up with Pete Dominic says, this show is free, but it sure ain't cheap. You can be a paid subscriber for as little as five bucks a month. And I'm going to ask you a favor. Could you help me get 10 new paid subscribers by the end of December 2023? Can you help me get 10 more? That would be an immense, immense piece of growth before the end of the year. That would feel like a really nice push. So if you've been thinking about signing up, now's the time. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription today. Make sure you're also communicating with us. Let me know what you want to hear on the show. Email me at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. Send me questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, brownie recipes, rants, raves, manifestos. Maybe not manifestos. Maybe not. I don't. Manifestos and screeds will be, uh, will be, will be previewed by our application team, and then uh, after they have been filtered, may or may not be sent up the chain to Maddie C. Uh, you can also leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash making. Works like a good old-fashioned voicemail. You can use your phone or the microphone on your computer or tablet. And lastly, if you could rate, re- like, and review this pod wherever you find it, it would be so, so incredibly helpful. It's the best way to grow the audience for the show. And that actually, the other thing I should say is, remember that every time you share anything that we do here, that is, that is the best way for this thing to survive. I know it sounds silly because the best way for this to survive is for you to give me a paid subscription. And that's wonderful. And I desperately need it. And please, please sign up. But especially once you've done that, the overwhelming number one way that this audience will grow is by you showing my work and the things you like here to new people. So if you hear something, if you see something, if you read something, that you've enjoyed here, please share it. Text it to friends, send it to an email list, share it with a book club or a movie club that you're in. Um, you know, give it to your bandmates, uh, throw it to your colleagues at work, whatever, whatever it is you can do, put it up on social media, obviously, but please find different ways to share this. Word of mouth is the number one way that's, that this thing travels. And the more people we can get in front of, the more I am convinced that I can make a portion of my living doing this. And I so, so appreciate you. And that is kind of where I want to end my personal portion of the intro before I get to the introduction of, of my mom and what, what she and I talked about. And that is, that on Sunday I posted a piece where I I talked about my genuine gratitude for all of you, and I wanted to reiterate that here on the pod. Um, there have been any number of ups and downs in 2023. Um, going to Morocco with my mom was just an incredible treasure and treat, and I will cherish that forever. Uh, my solo tour this summer, uh, car issues notwithstanding, uh, was one of the most life-affirming experiences I've ever had uh, in my time on this planet. And that is in 
almost complete part due to the generosity of the people out there. Uh, and they've given me the courage to try to do it again. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for showing up every day and reading my stuff and for liking it and subscribing and for giving me your money and your time and your, your expertise and your opinion and your beliefs and yourselves. And it means the world to me. As I said in the piece, I could be doing the best work of my life, but if I was doing it in a vacuum, it wouldn't matter. What I am doing, what I am making here, is only important because of the relationship that exists between us, between you and me, between the rest of us together. And I truly want to feel like we are very slowly, very small, uh, potatoes-wise, building a community here, one step at a time, one, one brick a day. And that's a really, really amazing thing. And you have all been so incredible in embracing that. And I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So thank you for your kindness and your generosity, your support, your subscriptions. Thank you. Uh, this, this work is, is, is changing my life. It has changed my life. You have changed my life. Thank you for that. It means a great deal. Now let's get to my talk with my mom. Uh, my mother gave me my foundational love of film. She and my dad fostered a love and a knowledge for cinema within themselves and for their children. I grew up in and around movies. They are in many ways the method in which I understood some of the more complicated aspects of human existence early on in my own existence. After my dad died in the summer of 2020, our family formed a movie club in the midst of our collective grief. In the three-plus years since we embarked on that endeavor, we have watched dozens of films. While some have been brilliant and others have been downright awful, each film managed to garner spirited discussion and appraisal. It is this regular commitment to shared movie watching with some of the most important people in the world to me that has strengthened my relationship not only with my family, but also deepened my appreciation for the art of cinema. That gained appreciation and commitment to connection is at the heart of what am I watching. Today, my mom and I spend a few minutes revisiting David Lean's brief encounter and why it is so brilliant. We may divulge a spoiler or two, so be careful if you haven't seen the film. Although, anything we talk about won't ruin your experience. We also cover the connections that exist between that film and the other half of our movie club double feature in The Mood for Love. It's a lovely preview and discussion into our next installment, which happens live on Zoom at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, December 13th. And it's also a wonderful chat, an excuse to talk to my mom about the movies. And there is never a bad time for that. So here now is my discussion with my mom on Brief Encounter. Enjoy. Do you remember the first time you saw Brief Encounter? Actually, I couldn't say how old I was. I couldn't say under what circumstances I saw it. I just remember being stunned by this little movie. 
Were you an adult? Oh, well into my adulthood. Okay, so this well wasn't like in... something you saw when you were 12 or something. No, no, no. I, or I doubt I would have remembered anything about it. It certainly wouldn't way. have meant much. Mm-mm. And, no, I was well into my marriage. Well into my marriage. Okay. And obviously that's that's key, and we'll get to that. We will. Um, but I don't think you have to be married to appreciate this film, but I think you have to have been in a dedicated relationship. Not... I think that will further enhance your understanding of this film. I think people who have been in a long-term relationship and have reached a point where it gets stable and uninteresting, um, that seems to be a completely un... Usually when you see films about that issue, it's about some torrid affair or some middle life, midlife crisis. And that's not what this film is at all. Not at all. Um, this film is like... A window into another world that could have been. For any of us. Uh-huh. And that's why it's great. So when you saw it, you know, presumably in your 20s or early 30s, you said you were stunned by it. What did you feel? I, I felt like like David Lean had grasped this woman's plight, if plight is even the right word, and captured... It's not the feminine mystique. It's not anything that blatant. But it is a comment on what happens to people because it's her story. Right. I mean, he's in the affair too, but we don't know anything about his life except what he tells us. Well, you don't see his family. You don't see his spouse. You don't see his daily routine. you You don't see him at home. No. At all. We only see him as she sees him. I'd never looked at it quite like that, but that's absolutely true. And um, as a matter of fact, in Trevor Howard's biography, he and his wife had a very open relationship. Okay. From the get-go. And um, it worked for them. They okay. stayed married a long, long time. But when he was doing this role, he really didn't understand his character. So Lean just had to tell him what he was doing and... Actually, do you remember the scene in the boathouse when she's rather below him serving tea and he's leaning down to her and he says, you know what's happening here? Yes. And it's like, I I get chills just thinking about it because we all know what's happening here. Yeah. And it has blindsided both of them. It's not like they're looking for someone else. And they they didn't will it into being. They didn't go out and seek it. It just happened. Yes. And... As, fight it as they may, um, it's not successful fighting. And it it does bring into the into light, I think, the idea that here is this thing that that drives our lives in such a profound and meaningful way that touches almost everything we do and think about, and yet there's very little agency sometimes that we have over it. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of choice, you know? Um, I mean, we do, but it's much more complicated than just making a rational decision, which is why for these two people, it's so incredibly complicated because they know what the quote unquote right thing to do is, but the right thing feels so terrible. Well, and, and when they decide to do the wrong thing and that goes awry, it, these are spoilers for anybody who's eh, not seen the movie. Uh, 
But I don't think that they kill the, the film itself. Okay, all right. Well, she probably would have gone through with an actual affair, a physical affair, right. if the roommate hadn't come in. I am guessing that later in her life, though she probably wondered what if, what if, what if, my guess is being in a 50-year relationship that she can look back at that and say, I didn't do it. I was faithful to my marriage, to my husband. Even if her weakness in that moment would have allowed that to happen had circumstances been different, she still did not follow through. She didn't. Um, What I find so stunning every time I watch the film is what a seemingly, you called it this little film. What a seemingly small picture it is. And to me, uh, I even mentioned this in the in the piece that I wrote to introduce the two films. This is a much bigger film to me than Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, gosh. This is a much bigger world. It's much more interesting. It's much more colorful, even though it's shot in this very monotone, black and white thing. Um, which, again, is an absolute choice. The whole idea of that was to create this morality, this binary of good or evil right or wrong you know what where where are you going to fall there is no gray area in the middle and yet what lean does so brilliantly with the way that he uses the train station is it's all gray it's all smoky all of it and even though they're in movie theaters city streets big city streets train stations train cars there are very few people. Not that it looks funny because there aren't enough people populating these things. It's that you are so focused on these, on her, especially her, that she's alone in this. And it's so brilliantly done. Well, like you said earlier, it's her film. And I did a little research. The the coward play that this is based on, which, I, as I recall, is called Still Life, mm-hmm. is very much kind of... It's it's there's more equanimity to the way he covers right. the stories, and Lean made a very specific decision to say no. This is Laura's film, and we're going to see this through Laura's eyes, and we're going to experience this with Laura's perspective. And I think that's not only a really bold choice for a filmmaker at the time and a male filmmaker at that who goes on to make particularly masculine pictures. I mean, Bridge on the River Kwai mm-hmm. and, and Lawrence of Arabia specifically are, are pretty duty films. Very. Um, and yet he takes this very finite period of time, this seemingly small affair, if you will, that is so small that the only two people who really notice it are them. Everyone else is kind of blind to it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I think that it's such a great morality tale because they they are kind of getting away with it, in a way. They are. But the last scene, the last lines, when he says, and she's been daydreaming, so he says, yes. thank you for coming back to me. It's clear that he knows that she has been distracted. That yes. she has not been present in their lives for some weeks. Yes. And he doesn't know the details, but he probably thought he was losing her. And now they can start again. Yes. 
And I believe they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that I also like about the film is that it's not these people have been wronged or right. they're married to bad people or that they're remarkably unhappy and this is going to save them from their mal- No, it's a it's a choice between this very stable, loving, good thing and this sort of magnetic pull that is irresistible. Excitement. Excitement and something different, something new. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of both a, a dovetail and a contrast to the other film that we're going to watch, which is In the Mood for Love. And one of the things that I think is really neat to look at in terms of the two of them is that while they cover a lot of the same bases in terms of kind of this sort of quiet, almost platonic love affair that doesn't really take on physical permutations, that is in both cases very intense and very brief and life-altering for all of the people involved. And you have these kind of doubt, not dour, very average-looking British people of 1945. Right. In post-war London, in kind of grimy circumstances, and then you have early 60s Hong Kong, and you have these beautiful people in lurid color, and they're enduring the same pain and the same sort of disconnection and they're the impetus for that is totally different but the circumstances are really really similar until you get to the way the two relationships works and the more i have thought about these two relationships the more interesting the comparison has become and what i'm really curious about is in in brief encounter there is this sense of inevitability with their affection. Mm-hmm. You you feel it at the outset. And in, in the Mood for Love, it builds very, very slowly and is not it's never a sure thing. And in one case, in one interpretation, it's very one-sided, depending on how you looked at the film. Hmm. Um, but I recently heard that Wong Kor Wai's major inspiration when making this film was Vertigo. And that completely changed the way I see Tony Leung's character. And now I need to watch this film again, and I need to know if it's a control thing like Jimmy Stewart. Or if it is... Right, so now... And here's the thing. Now I'm fascinated to know, is it both, and he doesn't know which one it is. And he can't control it. And so he is in love with her, but he also wants to control her. And it's this thing where he's trying to figure out how he can... Because they've both been spurned. And so now he wants to control that, and he and like it just opened up this whole world of wait a minute, this might be about something bigger than I already thought, and it was already about something big. Hmm. And so now it got like I can't wait to watch this movie again. Are you going to watch Vertigo again? I might have to. You might have to. I might have to. That's a film you don't like. I do not like. You don't like that, uh, just because it's so creepy. It's so creepy the the idea of somebody manipulating someone else to make her like a doll to make her transform into his idea of what a woman should be is and when that's such a direct almost recitation of hitchcock's creative output uh, it's kind of like and and i still like the film and it's jimmy stewart i'm disappointed that is the (laughs) 
Well, I even made a comment in the podcast last week that the two films that your father couldn't stand with that man in it were Vertigo and Flight of the Phoenix because he didn't like him in either one of them. Right. And God damn it, you're supposed to like Jimmy Stewart. Yes, you are. <laughs> He's a pretty likable dude. He's a pretty the, the likable dude. Well, thank you for talking to me about Brief Encounter. I'm really excited for us to all watch this together and I to hear what people think. you get all kinds of new ideas, which you will. People will see in it, and people can't help but find themselves in it, whether they've been in the same situation or not. As you said, if you've been in a long-term relationship, you get it. You get it. You get that life gets boring, or I feel boring, or whatever. I also think making... I, this was another discovery I made doing the research for this. I think making a romantic film is a lot like making a comedy. You can't fake whether or not it works. You could. Right. You can go, oh, you didn't get my drama. If I make a funny movie and you don't laugh, you didn't laugh. There is no plan B there. If I make a movie about two people and you don't get the connection and you don't feel what they feel on some level, I failed as a filmmaker. And so when you see it work this well in these two films, like it works for me, I'm reminded that that it's not the genre's shortcoming. It's just that it's such a difficult thing to write a really compelling, honest film about. It's really hard subject to write about well because it's written about it so badly so much. I just finished Janine Bassinger's I Do and I Don't Marriage in Hollywood. And she begins by saying that there isn't a genre about marriage. There are rom-coms. There are screwball comedies. There are all kinds of things. Sure. But there is no genre about marriage. And so she goes through decade by decade the movies that do deal with a marriage from um the crowd to through um well good heavens everybody had to be married to Myrna Loy because she was the perfect wife and blah 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 but when she gets to brief encounter it she almost slows down her rhetoric she almost like more you don't mean bro- into, you don't mean brief encounter i mean yes I mean, Myrna Loy? No, no, but Janine Bassinger. Oh, sorry. sorry. My apologies. Um, when when she's writing about that, um, it's like this is an honest film about marriage. Nowhere when you read about it does it say this is a film about marriage, but by God, it is. Uh, and the films that are supposed to be about marriage so often aren't. Right. They're they they miss the mark. They're about romance or the idea of falling in love or the wedding itself. Yep. You know, Father of the Bride is not a film about marriage. No. It's a little bit about Joan Bennett and Spencer Tracy. A little bit. A little bit, but only in their bickering and whatever. It's not... And it's not a very good film. And it's not a very good film. It's not a very good film. Um, But even the... I think even sort of like the new Hollywood 70s stuff, things like Kramer versus Kramer, that was almost that was almost like a ripping the Band-Aid off response to not making real movies about marriage, mm. right? So, because it's not about their marriage. No, it's a it's a it's, it's about the aftermath. Their, it's about their divorce, right? You know, ordinary people is not about their marriage. It is about that family falling apart, right? You know, and I I guess that's. I mean, that's certainly one story to tell, but there yes. are lots of families that don't fall apart or don't fall apart completely like that. 
that don't irrevocably separate. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because I think most of the time that we tell family stories on screen, we tell them in non-conventional ways. Right. We tell them through the lens of gangster pictures or musicals or uh, war films. And so we talk about family in that way. We talk about almost, we almost talk about chosen family more than we talk about, you know, quote unquote, family, family. Um, and I think some of that is that there is a there's a corniness to. It's funny. I didn't think we were going to get to this, but this is interesting ground. Like, I mean, I think of the Magnificent Ambersons, which is supposed to be this kind of like loving Victorian tale of a lovely kind of upper class family, and it's dull. There's nothing interesting about it. Nothing. There's interesting. nothing interesting about it. Um, Meet Me in St. Louis is beautiful and fun and great. And it's about that family. But it's more about her. And the time period. And the time and period. And, and and they're they're well off. And so there's a lot of beautiful set pieces you yes. can have. Yep. So that doesn't really feel like it's about no. kind of family in the conventional sense. And so it... it it's funny, I you know, one of the first things I thought of when you talked about films about actual families was The Little Rascals. And she mentions Janine Bassinger, The Odd Couple. I mean, they are definitely... They're married. They're married. They're married. They're they married. They that... with all the crap that marriage throws at you. Yes, absolutely. And they love each other. Begrudgingly love each other. Yes. And they're wonderful at it. They're wonderful at it. That yeah. that's that's nice extra credit for the thing. So that's our third love story that you can watch if you want extra credit. You can watch the Odd Couple. Thanks for talking to me, Mom. You're very welcome. There she goes, my mother, Deborah Carlson. Thank you so much, Mom, for being here. What an incredible mother. I'm so damn lucky. I know I've said this before, and I know any of you who know me know that this is true, but what a remarkable woman. I am so blessed. Um, What a treat to get to talk to my mom about a movie that I love. I hope I get to talk to you about two movies that I love on December 13th. We're going to do this thing on Zoom. It's going to be a blast. I want you there. Come be a fly on the wall. Come be an active participant. Come be something in between. Make sure you're paying attention so that you have all the details. Again, Zoom, 8 p.m. Eastern. December 13th. Make sure you're going over to the Substack at whatamimaking.substack.com. Come on, sign up for one of those 10 paid subscriptions we're going to get before the end of 2023. Thank you, as always, to my dear friend David J. Baldwin for the amazing theme music and soundtrack. Thank you to all of you for being here. I meant every word of my gratitude uh, sentiment that I put on the blog and that I mentioned at the top of the show. I love and appreciate you, and I couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. production to Maddie C and his ADHD and some terrible noise from that refrigerator. <laughs>